Psalm 99 can be found on page 601 in the Pew Bible. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was also among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. Let's pray together this morning. Father, uh, we thank you now for the ordinary means of grace that you have given us for the gifts of word, prayer, sacrament, and faithful presence. God, we give you thanks. We thank you this morning uh, that you have commanded us to apply the sign of the covenant to our children. And we're grateful, uh, not just for Lucy, but we're grateful for Ben and Claire's obedience in applying the sign of the covenant uh, to their lovely daughter. And Father, we pray this morning, as is we've already done, uh, we would pray that there would come a day in which Lucy would stand in front of this congregation and profess that the faith of her parents is now her own faith. And we trust and look to you uh, to be faithful in to that end. Father, now as we give a few minutes of our time to your word, we pray that you would bless this time. For we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. In one word, what comes to your mind when you think of God? What one word comes to your mind when you think of God? Well, as you're considering that question, I want to read for us a well-known and oft-quoted line from A.W. Tozer's magisterial little book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Tozer writes this, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. Let me read that first part of the quote to you again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is a question then that the church needs to consider, and not merely as individual believers. For Tozer goes on to warn us, he writes, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men and women. Please keep in mind that Tozer wrote those words in 1961. 
There is no telling what he'd think of the view of God held in many American Protestant evangelical churches today. Our text for this morning answers our question in one word. Our God is holy. Did you note that? As we've talked about, as we made our way through the Psalms, we've noted that one of the ways that the author shows us what they want to emphasize is they use repetition. And I hope you noticed in verse 3, the psalmist told us that holy is God. Again in verse 5. And then in verse 9, we're told, for the Lord our God is holy. Now please understand, that's not just the theme of Psalm 99. When Isaiah sees his vision of God in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6, the song of the cherubim is as follows. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ezekiel is confronted with a similar reality in Ezekiel chapter 1 as he's by the river Kabar and God's people are being taken into exile. Nonetheless, Ezekiel is absolutely overcome with the vision of the grandeur and glory and holiness of God. Now, lest we be tempted to think that this is just some sort of Old Testament phenomenon, Let's not forget John's response to his vision of the resurrected and glorified Christ on the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. John falls at Jesus' feet as though he were dead. The holiness of Christ is such that it's overwhelming to his beloved disciples. Well, it's one thing to acknowledge God's holiness. It's another thing to respond rightly to it. And so this morning, we want to look at three single words that the author gives us to help us in this particular direction. Now, on page five in the bulletin, you'll see something uh, in the outline called the big idea. The big idea in one sentence, hopefully, is what the sermon is about. So here's our big idea for this morning. The holiness of God demands proper response. The holiness of God demands proper response. There are three points that we want to make this morning. But before we get to the first point, we do need to answer a basic question. And the question is this. What does it mean to be holy? When we speak of God's holiness, what exactly are we talking about? What are we referring to? Well, the Oxford American English Dictionary defines holy as being set apart or other or different. As being set apart, other or different. The psalmist wants us to understand that God is not like us, but more so. The psalmist wants us to understand that God is a being who is wholly different from his creation. And then those who are God's people are those who are holy by virtue of the fact that God has set them apart to worship him alone. 
So let's look at the first of the three words that the psalmist gives us to talk about the proper response to the holiness of God. The first one is that we ought to tremble. We ought to tremble. Look at verse 1 again of Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. What's the proper response when we are confronted with the rule and reign of one who is not like us? What's the proper response when we are confronted with the one who sits enthroned upon the cherubim, who is exalted, not just over those who claim to follow him, but note in verse 2, he is exalted over all the peoples. So this proper response that we're looking for to the holiness of God isn't just within the church. This proper response is for everyone everywhere. All of God's creation is called to respond to his holiness to his rule, to his reign, to his being enthroned upon the cherubim. Now, what we're going to see this morning is that the psalmist gives us, as it were, three different snapshots. The first snapshot we have in verses 1 to 3 is about God's universal reign. This isn't just about his people. Rather, this is about the peoples and about the entire earth. He's exalted over all the peoples. And so because that's true, the proper response to that is that we ought to tremble. Now, I know that feels strange. It feels strange to say, for example, as John says in 1 John, that God is love. Therefore, tremble before him. But what seems to be a contradiction isn't really a contradiction. Rather, it's a paradox. Listen again to the words of Tozer. I love this quote as he helps us think through what's it mean to tremble before him and yet to praise his great and awesome name. How do those two things go together? Listen to what Tozer says. The greatness of God rouses fear within us. But his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and yet not be afraid, that is the paradox of faith. Let me read that again. The greatness of God rouses fear within us. But his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and yet not be afraid, that is the paradox faith. Friends, our God is wholly other. He is not like us. He is set apart and he is absolutely different. We are created in his image. He is not created in ours. And so our right response is to tremble. I wonder, uh, is that the picture of God that you have? That God is of such grandeur and such glory 
and such splendor and such holiness that all you can do when you when you think about it, one of the the sort of uh, most basic responses you have to that is to tremble. Well, if you've been to the Grand Canyon, you have some sense of what that might be like. I remember I was 10 years old the first time I saw the ocean. As a boy growing up in the sand hills in Nebraska, the largest thing I had ever seen prior to that was Lake Okoboji. And so the concept standing on the shore of the Pacific Ocean in Oregon and looking out and it just keeps going and going and going and going made me feel tremendously small. And the power and the splendor and the glory of seeing the ocean for the first time caused me to tremble. Well, if that's true of the ocean, how much more should that be true of the one who created the oceans? The Lord reigns, so let the peoples tremble. Secondly, we're told that we ought to exalt him. We're told that we ought to exalt him. Not just because uh, he's other than we are. Not just because he's different. Not just because he is set apart. But the writer tells us, the writer of the psalm tells us, that we are to exalt him for a very particular reason, and it's because our God is just. And it's not that just that God is equitable, but he has established equity. And not only is God just, but God executes justice and righteousness. Now, we long, in fact, one of the great things in in surveys and polls that we've seen among Americans, and one of the reasons that we're so divided right now as a nation is we look around us and we see uh, real or perceived injustices, and we go, hey, we want it to be really different. Okay, but what would that even look like? We can't even agree on what justice would look like. We want it. We long for it. We work and pray to that end. And we're told in Psalm 99 that not only does God love justice, well, that's, that's good, that's great, right? It's better than having a God that loves chaos or a God that loves injustice. And if you've read the Iliad or the Odyssey, you know it seems like the Greek gods, they just kind of love chaos. And they love stirring the pot, but they don't necessarily seem to love justice. Well, not only does God love justice, but he is the very definition of equality. He is the, the one who executes not only justice, but he does so in full righteousness in and through his people. Well, when you have a God like that, when you have a being like that, you worship him. You exalt him. He is very much different. Not only does he love and long for justice, as many of us do, but he himself is the very definition, and he himself has executed it. 
Friends, nowhere do we see that more clearly and more plainly than in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the pictures that baptism paints for us and that it reminds us of is there is a cleansing from sin to be had through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for that. But how in the world can a God who is just, a God who is the very definition of equity, how can a God who is holy simply forgive people who are guilty? How can he forgive sinners? It's wonderful that he's forgiving. It's wonderful that he's loving. But how can he be forgiving, loving, and still just and holy? Well, it's through the cross of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God laid on Christ our sin. Jesus paid the penalty, the penalty that's rightfully yours and mine. And in dying, or as the, the great Puritan uh, John Owen said, there was the death of death and the death of Christ. God poured out his wrath. He satisfied his justice in the death of his son on the cross. And so the one who is just and holy is also loving and forgiving. So we exalt him. We exalt him because his justice meant that his son would be sent into the world. His justice meant that his wrath would be satisfied through the cross of the second person of the Trinity. Thirdly, then, we listen. We listen. It's a really interesting move in this psalm. He goes from talking about what's going on in the nations, and then he kind of dwells, kind of uh, drills down into Judah. And now he's talking about particular individuals. In verse 6, where we are introduced to three of the great heroes of the Old Testament, Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. And the psalmist tells us that they were priests that how they functioned before God and between God and his people was they served as priests. And note that they're characterized as those who called upon God's name. And not only did they call upon him, but he answered them. In the case of Moses and Aaron, verse 7, it was through the pillar of cloud that he spoke to them. And they then keep his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that it's one thing to call upon the Lord. It's another thing to have the Lord answer you. But it's something entirely different to actually listen to the God who speaks. One of the tasks of priests was to listen to God, to listen to his word, and then to teach God's people to do likewise. I think it's interesting, too, because as you look at that list of names that he gives us, he goes, Moses, Aaron, okay, well, they go together. They're brothers, and they served and ministered at roughly the same time. But then he jumps from Moses and Aaron to Samuel. 
And you go, now, wait a minute. What, what is Samuel doing there? Samuel is not, I mean, he's in the Old Testament, but he's, he's not in the first five books of the Bible. He wasn't there at the Exodus. He comes much later. Why in the world would he have Samuel? Well, Samuel is there because when we call upon the Lord and when he answers us, we need to listen. Do you remember the story of Samuel when he was a boy? How he laid down one night in the tent of meeting and uh, was there and the Lord called out to him and he thought actually it was Eli, the priest, who he was apprenticing with. And so not once, not twice, but three times, Samuel got up and he went into Eli and said, hey, you called for me. And Eli's like, no, I mean, Eli's an old man and old men, when you wake them up, are cranky. I, I know this because I'm apparently in that category. And Eli's like, no, I didn't call for you. Go back to bed. The third time, finally, when it happens, Eli says to him, it isn't me calling you, it's the Lord. And so in 1 Samuel 3, 9, Eli says to him, you need to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Your servant is listening. It's wonderful that we can call upon the name of the Lord. It's wonderful that we have a God who speaks. But friends, are we listening? Are we hearing? Do we give attention to God and to his word? In the New Testament reading we had for this morning, I hope you noted that not once but twice, Peter, now speaking about the church, says that we are priests. One time he says that we are holy priests. In other words, that God himself has set us apart to be his. Another time he says that we are royal priests. For we serve the one who reigns, the one who sits enthroned upon the cherubim. And that's one of the wonderful promises of Psalm 99. Is because our God is holy, we too can be holy. We can share in that holiness. Now, it's derivative. It comes from God. It's not our own. It comes from God through Christ as an imparted to us by his spirit. But we are those who can tremble before the Lord. We are those who will exalt him. And we as God's people are called to listen to him when he speaks to us. One of the things that the Reformed Church has believed for a number of years is that the sacraments are a picture of what the word promises to us. The word is the gospel, as it were, uh, explained. The sacraments are a picture of that gospel. We need them. We need them to go together. For at the table every week, we are reminded of God's righteousness. We are reminded of God's justice. We are reminded that it's only through the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that we can be forgiven. It's how the holiness of God, the wrath of God, His just and righteous wrath is reconciled. It's, we can't work to earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But rather, it's through the gift that God gives. And so in the sacraments, he's giving us a picture. In his word, he's explaining to us the way and the means uh, of his own character, that he is not only a God who speaks, but he is a God who saves. Are we listening? Are we looking? Are we watching? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and graciousness to us, your people. Uh, Father, I, I know it seems, it just seems like harsh and old fashioned and really angry and aggressive uh, to say that we ought to tremble before you. But Father, that's what your word tells us. And we can be marked and characterized by the spirit of the age, or we can be marked and characterized by your word. And I pray this morning it would be the latter. We bless you that you are a God who is just. That in a world that cries out for justice, in a word, world that cries out for equity, you are those things personified. And you don't just love them, you don't just long for them, but Father, as we heard this morning, you execute your justice. And so, Father, we exalt you. We give you praise and honor and glory, for that is rightly yours. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.